Welcome to Apple at Work, the podcast all about how Apple intersects with the business world, education, healthcare, retail, everything in between. My name is Bradley Chambers, your host as always. This week, we have first-time guests on the show, Jason Mella from Collide. Jason, welcome to Apple at Work. Thank you so much for having me, Bradley. So um, for those of our listeners that maybe aren't friends with you on LinkedIn, um, what do you do at Collide? So I'm actually the founder and CEO of Collide. Uh, Collide's been around for a while, since 2016. But fundamentally, what we're trying to do at Collide is we're trying to do something really special. We're trying to get end users to be a part of the security and compliance story, the remediation part. And uh, we have some exciting new things that we just started working on that I'm sure we'll get into today. But fundamentally, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make end users part of the solution, not the enemy. Now, we were talking before the show, and uh, you live outside of uh, the Boston area. So I have to ask, are, are you a big Red Sox fan? You know what? I grew up in New York, so I'm a little bit of a transplant here, so I can't say it too loud, but I've always been a little bit of a Mets fan, New York Giants fan. Uh, so that's, we'll just that's keep that tough. That's tough for me. I, I kind of wish I'd have asked that before the show. I'm a Braves fan. <laughs> so I, I often, like if you said Yankees, I can like tip my cap, go back to the 99-96 World Series. Uh, but the Mets, I just, uh, I don't know. Now I've got a buddy that is a huge, it's random. He's a huge Auburn football fan. So I'm like a massive Georgia football fan. Like here in the South, I mean, the Braves could be in the World Series. If Georgia's on, like all the bars have, you know, the college games on. So I got a buddy that he's an Auburn fan, but then a Mets fan. And it's like, you're like, Oof. that is the most random thing. And I, you're going to, this is, you're going to hate me when I say this, but like last summer he talked uh, trash all summer about baseball. And I just told him like, his name's Matt. I said, Matt, there are three constants in life, death, taxes, and the Mets collapsing in the, in the, <laughs> in the fall. And he talked trash all along. And then, like you know, the Braves went on a really, really nice run at the end of the season. So it was less about that. But I was just able to be like, Matt, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's just it is what it is. Now, uh, Mets, the Mets seem like one of those teams are really gearing up for a nice run here. Uh, and because honestly, at this point, like, I think the truth is nobody likes the Dodgers. Um, they're like the new enemy in baseball. Well, absolutely. And I think this our household in particular has a storied history with rooting for the teams that have been due for a while, like just to switch to football really quickly. My wife is from Michigan. She's been a Detroit Lions fan diehard since the beginning. They haven't ever even had a Super Bowl appearance. And obviously with the Mets, you know, what you just said, like, oh, this year is going to be the year. It's been the you know, the theme of every year, I think, for the last decade or two. So um, I but that's the thing. It's the sour that makes the sweet so sweet. And when we finally get there, that's going to be our moment. Trust me, I know that I uh, am a Georgia fan. We, we, I mean, we heard 1980 jokes for a long time, so it was nice to finally like break through that ceiling and get it. And same, I mean, the Braves too. Gosh, the Braves are tough because like we, I was a kid when I was in middle school. We won it in '95, and then they just kind of danced around it forever. And I don't know like what's worse, like being almost there or just being terrible. And I, honestly, I think being terrible is better because like there's like that eight year period and like the, the, you know, the early uh, part of the 2010s where like the Braves were just terrible as they were rebuilding and you just didn't stress about it. It's like the, you just, you just weren't any good. Right. Uh, but no I, so I, I, 
Yeah, you like wait. Well, you, you just like don't get your heart broken. I do love the Lions because uh, love Matt Stafford, and he was their quarterback for a long time. Again, played yeah. the University of Georgia. So, and then they had uh, DeAndre Swift. You know, who they just traded to the Eagles. But uh, do love the Lions, and the Lions are one of those teams that you really just do root for because like their fans are so passionate. Kind of like the Bills, their fans are just so passionate, and it just feels like they're going to break through eventually. But I will say, we'll we'll get off the football shortly, but. Michigan seems to be really about to turn a corner. Like, you know, again, beating Ohio State, Ohio State two years in a row, like that just you know, doesn't happen. So, uh, but no, I hear you. So, anyways, we'll get off the football train. Uh, for those of our listeners who could care less, you probably already <laughs> skipped ahead with your 15 second, bu- second button. Um, but, you know, I, the, the last episode we talked, uh, talked to uh, Walden Dodd from Kanji, which I'm at EDR. And so I thought this would be like a nice segue to a different topic because you, you have this paradigm in the enterprise right now where uh, data is growing like the amount of data that a single endpoint produce can generate in a day is astonishing like i was actually earlier um getting uh tsa pre-check for the first time and the lady was i don't know why i never did that are you tsa pre-check jason i was and i expired and i haven't had the chance to go back and get it but it was great while i had it Right. Like, I just felt like, you know what? Like, let me just, it wasn't, it was never about the money. I just like never took the time to do it. Well, the lady had like a tablet and she was like, she was scanning my passport. Like, and, and like it kept, he was trying to read the numbers and it just kept erring. And I was just, I'll, and my, and I just, as part of my like life now, I just was thinking about the logs this machine was generating while she was trying to do this. Like, there's like, a log, you know, all these fields, it's like bad user experience, like didn't work. And, um, endpoints are just creating so much data, specifically, again, you've got, you know, Max have grown like crazy in the enterprise, uh, particularly like in the last three years. But like, you know, if you don't know how long you've been, the, you know, in, a, in the Mac space, but like, you know, it's this last decade, we've seen this massive growth of Apple products in the enterprise. Um, but there, so you, you know, this, it's known like, hey, we've got to secure the device. We want to know the the data. But then on the flip side, something that has also happened simultaneously is this rise of SaaS based applications where like, Again, like I could, like my work computer, I could, if I had to, could live just in the browser because so many of the tools I use are are, are just SaaS based. And I actually would argue that's helped the Mac expand quickly into the enterprise because it wasn't like every application had to have a, a, a Mac app to match the PC app. As these things moved to SaaS, you know, in the web, it just became easier. So talk. Can you talk about like kind of that that problem that you know where you saw that problem for the enterprises? Absolutely, and I think um, this idea that the endpoint has all of this data and there's a lot of it—that's not, in my opinion, a recent phenomenon. That's been true since I've been in the endpoint detection space for for years and years. Like the the endpoint was always the holy grail of where all the exciting data lives from a detection and a remediation capability perspective. So if you're an EDR vendor. Um, there's a lot that you can do when you have your agent on the device. So I wouldn't say uh, we already have a lot of data. And what's fascinating is even though we've gotten exponentially better at grabbing this data, processing it, now running it through really advanced like artificial intelligence models, really like bubble up the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. The thing that always struck me and has been that way since I've started my career in the security space is that we still get the basics wrong. We still struggle with the most basic hygienic items that we need to do to keep our devices safe. And so that's always been a point that I wanted to explore within Collide since we were born in 2016 is 
Why is that? And our theory, which has now been validated, is that there is an entire other thing that we need to look at that has context and data in it. And it's not just the device. It's the person sitting behind the device. They are the missing piece that is preventing us, I think, from solving a lot of these challenges. So, And you mentioned this earlier, right? Like, It's been in the last 10 years, Max have really leaned in to the enterprise space. And fundamentally, before then, they were primarily seen, and still to this day, are personal computers. They're designed to be driven by a single human being that's using them to do their job or to do a personal thing, web browsing, photography. Like That's the vision in which Macs were born out of since their inception in the 80s. And so it's only been very recently that we've really tried to command and control Macs through some sort of centralization like MDM. You know, Mac admins who might be listening to this are like, no, you know, we've been doing that for more than a decade. But it's really only been the last 10, 15 years where Apple has been a cooperative partner in trying to enable that. Before then, it was just scripts and shipping random profiles and what can we do to just kind of cobble something together. So it's really a recent phenomenon. And so as a result, there's just some fundamental truths that make it impossible to fully remediate everything. And I'm talking about the basics. So let's talk about Mac OS updates, right? We just, uh, at the time of this recording, we just got our first rapid security response update, the new RSR updates. And um, I don't know about you, but I was sort of thinking when this new type of update came around, the part that was supposed to be rapid was the part where it's supposed to be really easy for me to install this thing. But fundamentally, yeah, maybe the reboot and the little progress bar after reboot was a little bit shorter, but I still had to reboot my computer. And that's the fundamental challenge with automating some of these things is that you have to take the reboot sooner or later. If you need to update Google Chrome or Firefox or Brave, you have to restart that process at some point. And then the question becomes, when is the right time to do it? Well, there is no right time. You can't just slam all the doors closed and reboot all the computers in the middle of the day. That's a data loss event. And if you work for a large company, you know this. There's never a good time to do it. It's three in the morning. Oh, it happened to be, that was just the time that you know the, the third shift came in and they were completely disrupted from what they needed to do. Uh, 10 p.m., oh, that just happened to be the time the CEO was pitching for the next round of funding and he's pissed. So there's never a good time to do this. And so you end up with these solutions that leverage MDM, things like that, where you're sort of begging, you're pleading the user, tell us the time in which it's the best time to reboot your computer. And as we all know, because we're guilty of it ourselves, we just close those screens, we click ignore, we click snooze, and we don't do them. And so you end up in a position where the Mac is unable to, to the, to the, um, the company specifications get the devices updated in a reasonable time frame. I'm talking about three or four days when a critical patch comes out. It takes three or four weeks because you have to beg and plead and snooze, and then you still have 20% of the devices that aren't there. So how does this play into SaaS? Well, we believe at Collide that companies have the right to dictate what the requirements should be to access the crown jewels. That's intellectual property. That's customer data. And these increasingly are living behind SaaS apps. And increasingly, you need to sign into those apps with some kind of SSO solution. For many of our customers, that's Okta, but there's a lot of other SSO solutions or social logins that are 
what you're using to log into these SaaS apps today. So what we believe is companies have the right to dictate what the device should be, what state it should be in. And then, but we also believe that end users are the missing piece that have the context of when to take on these disruptive events. So how does that play out? So with something like Collide, we have an agent, it figures out what's going on with the computer, and it decides, hey, this Mac is missing the rapid security response update. And then we say, all right, until you're willing to install this update, we're not going to let you into AWS anymore. We're not going to let you into GitHub. We're not going to let you into Salesforce. And what we found is that the psychology of that is way less disruptive than if you were to use automation. So we can actually use this level of access management, which is now called zero trust access management, to enforce certain things are true about the device. But it's the end user that gets to decide, this is the time that makes sense for me to take the reboot. And what you see in practice is that the updates get applied faster than they've ever been applied before. And they get applied more completely across a much larger percentage of the population. It is just objectively better than trying to solve these problems with automation alone. And so by the fact that all this stuff has moved into the SaaS, it's now a major opportunity for IT practitioners to say, you want access to this stuff? Well, your device has to meet the rules and we're going to help you get there. And then we're going to guide you on how to solve that problem. That to me is the biggest fundamental assumption change that's happened in the last two years that IT and security practitioners could take advantage of to really move the needle on their security and compliance story. This episode of Apple at Work is sponsored by Mosul. Deploying, managing, and protecting Apple devices at work should be difficult or require several solutions. Mosul is the only Apple unified platform for business. By combining enhanced device management, endpoint security, internet privacy and security, single sign-on, and enhanced app management into a single Apple-only platform, businesses can now easily and automatically deploy, manage, protect their Apple devices automatically with one solution at an affordable price. With a solution for every business size and the best support in the market, start a free 30-day trial and see firsthand why Mosul is more than an Apple MDM. Mosul is everything you need to work with Apple. To learn more, visit business.mosul.com. That's business.mosyle.com. Thanks to Mosul for sponsoring Apple at Work this week. This is, again, highlights one of the differences in um, managing a um, workforce that's at the corporate HQ behind the firewall. Everything's controlled. Um, they're all going to lunch at noon. And right. you can say, hey, y'all, um, we're scheduling this department. Y'all go to lunch at noon. We're scheduling uh, this patch update to go out. Leave your computers. You know, you can lock them. Please lock them, but leave them on. You know, those like the, the, the way we use technology, it, it's, it's, it's different, but it's like you can envision like it's like it's now more of a part of our work versus like we go to a workstation and log in. That computer stays on all night long. IT can put, you know, you remember the old days of just like, I can remember like a go, you know, my first job doing ISP tech support. Like I just like walk into a call center and like my workstation would be there. And like, if IT wanted to run updates the night before, I didn't really know if that happened. Right. Like yep. that's, that was like a great world for IT professionals. Like, it, like these things are always on. You could kind of get to them if you had to. And again, like you, you even go back to like, you could also just like walk down to the call center and just like, if you just wanted to like 
hey, I've got these, I've already got this thing, this patch on the flash drive. Uh, uh, it's like, you know, I don't have to, any, what to download. Like, we're just going to stick it in and run it. Like, that was like a, a great world because you could get a hold of these machines. Well, like, you know, if you're a remote, if you have 10,000, you know, Macs and around the world, like, you often, you actually may not even see them. Like, in zero, you know, drop ship them, zero touch. Uh, you, you know, you maybe see them at decommission time, but it may just go to like, your, you know, buyback program or whatever, like you literally might never see these Macs. So again, it makes sense to, again, like, again, a little bit of a carrot and a stick. And especially where it's like, hey, it's not like we're going to lock your computer completely. Like if you want to access GitHub, like you've got to have this minimum level of security. And again, it's such a simple concept, but it totally makes sense. And especially in a world where, um, again, IDP is so critical. Um, And I've something that on a podcast I had, scarily 11 years ago, uh, a friend of mine, Fraser Spears, we talked so much then about how identity was everything. And we, and we talked about this idea of your devices, particularly the iPhone being a remote control for cloud apps. And really the Mac has evolved in some ways too. Like we're now, it is a remote terminal into SaaS web apps. I mean, Think of like a an application that you have that doesn't have some, you know some sort of like network component on the back end, and again again these devices are very secure and often it's not just about the security it's also about producing the compliance reports as a part of this so you can say as a as a you know as a, a CISO like no one can access GitHub. That's or AWS or, or, or Azure or uh, GCP. No one can access these these services unless they're on this minimum level of security. And you can tick that forward at any point. So if a rapid security response comes out that's like absolutely critical, and you say, "Hey, we're," and I, I know it's tough, but like this this is an important update. Boom! It is now required to get in. It's almost like a virtual door. Like you can get in one door, but to get in these four magical doors that access more. You know, keys. You know, can the keys the kingdom? You're going to have to be on a the most secure uh, platform, the most secure security update that's out. You know, it's kind of a simple thing. And again, it's doing it in a way that I would argue is very. It's got to be disruptive a little bit because there's never, you know, obviously be great if you never had to do updates, but like not in a way that's like somebody's coding and all of a sudden you're locking them out. But it's like, hey, before you get logged back in, you're going to have to get updated. Right, and I think that. That's just scratching the surface of what the capabilities are when you finally have a system that works at scale that can get users to do things that are in the best interest of the company and not have it be a giant political quagmire, right? Like it makes intuitive sense like, oh, I'm going to access really important sensitive information. The company should make sure that my device is meeting some standard. That is fair. And it's also fair as long as you lean in and you let them know early, you give them a heads up, you give them notifications. And that's the best part is like, once you have a consequence that is going to automatically take hold, people will listen to the notifications. People don't listen to notifications today because there are no consequences. You can click ignore, you can click snooze, and you can do it indefinitely, especially on the Mac. Windows has a little bit more rope there where you can eventually at one point just say, all right, you're done. And you know, I think there's things that you can get open source on the Mac side to kind of recreate that type of experience. But ultimately, users know that they can continually and indefinitely defer notifications. But if you have a real consequence there that is meaningful, they won't be able to do their job, then they will absolutely and helpfully participate in that process. And once you have that in place, 
now you can start doing some really interesting things and address some really serious problems that previously were inaccessible to you. So a good example of that is shadow IT. Shadow IT is really tough because the goal of shadow IT or the, the one of the benefits is, is that usually the products that they're using are providing some kind of value to that individual end user. They want to use that thing because it's helping them do their job. But there are these existential risks to the company for them to be able to do it, whether that's an AI thing and you're like inadvertently leaking intellectual property or sense of data to a cloud service, whatever it is, the company should have the right to say, hey, we've evaluated this tool and we know that it's not going to be good for us because there's real consequences if someone in a legal discovery forum is able to actually um, you know, pull this data later on in like a trial against us. Like that's a legitimate concern, but an end user isn't going to really bear the weight of that on their shoulders. They're just going to make the decision that's best for them. But if you can reach a place where you can say, listen, you have just for the sake of argument, you know, grammarly on your computer and there's these risks associated with us using that here, get it off. Here's an alternative thing that you can use that gives you a similar benefit. And we're not going to let you in to these tools because we know that data will flow out towards the grammarly servers. That's fair. It makes sense. And it actually helps you address that type of problem. Same thing with sensitive data. Can't tell you the amount of engineers do things that they know are wrong, but they kind of need to do them to do their job, like keeping that production database, a copy of it in the downloads folder because they needed to like recreate some aspect of production locally to like troubleshoot a bug. And then it just sits there forever. And it's a risk. Well, we need to get it off. All right. You're not getting into GitHub anymore until you delete that thing. And this is why that's really bad. And here's our policy around having that type of sensitive data on your laptop in the first place. That's a way where you can not only solve really nuanced problems, but you also can train the end users at the point of performance, the point that actually matters, not in an abstract PowerPoint presentation on their first two days of work that they never see again. That's not the time to teach anybody anything. It's and the moment that they are making the mistake that you bring it to their attention there's a proportionate, reasonable consequence, and then you give them that path to redemption. And then once they fix it, they're in, everybody's happy, and everybody wins. And that's, I think, very, very exciting. And it's a superpower. And if you can leverage it appropriately and wield it responsibly, you can probably do things that were never possible or that you deem to be impossible because you've looked at them always through the lens of 100% automation. You know, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah, think about, I mean, if you've got kids, so you have kids, you can't teach them everything they need to know about life right along the way. You have to kind of do it ongoing. And so you see an issue and you address it and you learn from it. And it's like what you're saying. It's like, it's hard to say, I mean, you could say it, but you know, it's like, hey, don't keep a production database in your downloads folder. Okay. Like everybody's going to, every, on the first day of work, everybody's like, yeah, that sounds great. I hear you. But then it's like, well, I need to do that because I need to do this. I'm, I'm working on this issue for a customer. I'm going to download it real quick uh, and, and just work on it, and then I'll delete it, and they don't delete it. So, But it, again, they knew on the first day they shouldn't do this, but they're trying to do their job, take care of the customers, so it makes sense. But again, so that's where kind of coming alongside them from an InfoSec training perspective, be like, hey, notice this. We need to take care of that. Uh, here's why that's we shouldn't do that. And if you, you know, until we do that, you can't access these nine tools. Thanks. It's like right. they've learned, it's reinforced it, and you also protected data, uh, protected access to data, you know, and, and you know, kind of again, a little bit, a little bit of a um, uh, honey versus vinegar type of way. 
Absolutely. And as you said before, Bradley, the thing that you pointed out is you may not even know what devices are even in play. You know, you have the ones that are listed inside of your MDM or maybe other management tools, but what about the ones that have somehow avoided being put under management or even worse, the personal devices that are being used by these employees to access those same SaaS services? Because fundamentally, you have nothing in place that verifies that the device that's being used to access this critical resource is one that the company owns and is able to manage. That's another thing. And you know, a lot of the customers that we're gaining today, these are customers that are looking forward to an initial public offering. And part of that process is you enumerate risks. And since the Uber hack last year, everybody has on their security list, hey, how are we going to survive a situation where the username, the password, and even the two-factor authentication is compromised from one of our employees. What level of access does that give this potential attacker? And in the case of something like Uber, it gave them wide-reaching, near-infinite access to some of the most sensitive systems in the organization. So now every company has seen that, and we now know we need to really make the device a meaning, meaningful part of the authentication process. We need to verify that it's a device that we are aware of, that it's under management. And that is now an opportunity to do all these other things that Collide does is why not make sure that it's also up to date? Why not make sure it doesn't have any weird sensitive data that shouldn't be on it? And let's now start a conversation with the end user at that point of login. Because if we can make the device a true factor for authentication, its fishability is really limited. You can't fish a device. You can certainly fish a token or something that's going to be texted to you via SMS or a push notification. You could social engineer that out. But a device is much harder to do that. So why not implement that and then take advantage of that implementation to do far more than just making sure that you know the device is under management. Make it a way to accelerate how quickly you can patch that device how lockstep it is with the company's policies. It's such a great opportunity. Everybody's making this transition now. Why not make it in a way that's going to give you superpowers beyond what you dream for? And that's what we're trying to advocate for and what we've been trying to advocate for since Collide's inception. But now the stars have really aligned. We have found a way to really do this right inside of an SSO provider, in this case, Okta. There's the mandate to make this happen at a security level. There's a term that we can attach this to, which is zero trust access. All the stars are in alignment to make this possible. And here I am trying to advocate to anybody who will listen that this is the real deal. This is something that will fundamentally change the efficacy on how you do all the important hygienic things, the basics that you need to get right in order to avoid a much more serious compromise in the future. Again, as we wrap up, the thing I'm really taking away from this conversation is just the need and the importance of ongoing security discussion. And it's it's incredibly top of mind. Um, so as we wrap up, so I was on your website and in U-Haul, I have a link to a website called honest.security. Uh, can you give us as we wrap up kind of a pitch on what the focus of that site is? Yeah, so Honest Security is this, it's not really a book, it's not really a pamphlet, it's more like a manifesto about how we feel philosophically about end users and their role in helping to secure devices and help them from a compliance standpoint. I've been 
an IT security practitioner since I started my career. And there's always been this weight of cynicism around end users and really trying to put them in a box so that they can't mess up the computers. And I think that has very limited returns on investment and we're diminishing returns over time. And we've already maxed out what we can do with automation. So instead of continuing to try to put users in a smaller and smaller box, which pushes them to use personal devices, which then you totally lose, is how do we embrace end users and use things like safety science, things that we know how to do in other areas of society to get end users to do things that they normally wouldn't want to do. So honest security is a philosophical and almost psychological look at how you achieve that. It's our vision for where we want to go and collide. Collide, the company, is the product that is designed to make what we talk about in honest security possible so that you don't have to go build it all yourself. So honest security is really our roadmap. Very cool. Um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I think it's uh, something to check out. Again, I think it's just the key to success with security is – Awareness, discussion, and 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 it's it's a way of life. Uh, it's kind of like how exercise and diet aren't a one-time discussion. It's just a way of life. So uh, I think definitely check it out. Honest dot security, um, Jason. This has been a great conversation. We'll, we'll have a link to um, uh, Collide in the show notes. It's uh, again, if you want to learn more about really bridging that gap of local security on the Mac, but also uh, knowing that you have the keys to your kingdom, that the most important IP your company owns is in um, SaaS-based applications that are they're, you know accessible. You want to make sure that the right people are, are accessing those in the right way with the right devices um, with it have the, the minimum security that your organization demands. So uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Jason, again, thanks for coming on and we'll talk to you all again real soon. Thanks, everybody. And remember, Collide, K-O-L-I-D-E.com. Thanks.